This is another iRaw podcast. What those dogs did for me was give me all of the tools, you know, bridge the gap between where to the point where I could start to live. You know, I took Marley everywhere. With, I mean, everywhere because I was too scared to have conversations with people, with girls, with people in positions of influence or power. I was just scared all the time, all the time. And, you know, they really helped me. And that's what one of the things that I would encourage folks to do is not necessarily, you kind of alluded to it, but not necessarily use dogs. I mean, dogs are medicine, right? But not use them as like an excuse to keep yourself back. Dogs are there to help you live, not to scale yourself back and hide. My name is Katya, and this is The Animal That Changed You. I believe loving an animal is one of the most accessible, most available portals for self-healing in the whole world. It's my privilege to encourage you to open your heart to animals and challenge you to deepen your compassion just a little bit more. Welcome to The Animal That Changed You. Guys, as I am recording this, I am holding a picture of myself that I just found as a little girl. I mean, I'm talking three years old, four tops, and I am hugging my dog at the time. And the smile on my face is so pure that I can't help but just feel like such a tenderness for this kid, this me, who loved animals forever. Hi, welcome to The Animal That Changed You. Has this happened to you? How are you? Do you have a picture of yourself hugging and holding an animal as a kid? Hmm. If you do, will you, uh, should we share that? Because I'm, I'm going to share mine. Yeah, yeah. Sh- share it and, and tag us here at the animal that changed you. And oh my God, like whether it was a dog or a cat or a, you know, rat. How many of you have hugged rats? I haven't. Life goals. It's just it's just kind of amazing. It's kind of taken my breath away just to see like how natural it was for us. It is for us. Maybe for everyone, I'd like to think, okay, well, you welcome to my brain. Take a front row seat. Now you're cozy. Do you want a blanket here in my brain? No, you want to go? I understand. I get it. How are you guys doing today? How is life? <sighs> it's deep into 2022 now. We're in it. We're moving and grooving. Hmm. Hope we enjoy this year. Hope it's a good year for you. I'm not saying that like I'm going on some voyage you know, and you'll never hear from me again. I'm merely just saying, why wait till I go on a voyage to wish you a good year? Just want to wish you one right now. <laughs> Random Wednesday. Um, that has nothing to do with who our guest is today. We have an amazing guest today on the show. Zach Scow is the co-founder of Marley's Mutts, an amazing um, animal rescue sanctuary now, if you will. And he's also the founder of Positive Change Program. We're going to hear all about that and much more. We talk about animals that have saved us. We talk about dogs. We talk all about all sorts of things. And um, I'm so glad we get to talk with you. And I hope you'll keep the conversation going on Instagram. Let me know what you think of this episode. Share pictures of yourself as a little cute, adorable kiddo loving an animal. And just know how much you mean to me and to to everyone who's a part of the animal that changed you, how happy it makes me, how warm I feel in my heart to know that we're in community together around loving animals. Oh, and I will mention if you hear a very annoying scraping noise in the background, just my dog eating a bone. Sorry, people. Zach Scow, founder of Marley's Mutts. You are also an animal and prison reform activist. 
Yeah. I would say prison reform activist and an animal activist at the same time, combining them. I believe that Marley was the one who started it all. Your Roddy Pitmix, who I yeah. I don't know if if he was the animal this that changed is, you. That's, that's the tattoo. You. He was beautiful. Yeah. Guys, I'm looking at the tattoo. Too. Yeah, he's everywhere. I just lost my inspiration dog, and they never leave. I know that you have a lot of programs. You have your rescue, you have your ranch, you have mutt movers, which is a transport program. You also have miracle mutts, which is like dog therapy, basically, which is yep. to me just the most beautiful thing you can give back. What a service. Yeah. But positive change is something that just drew me to you. And I was like, I have to have him as a guest. I have to talk to him because of this, this idea of creating hope and opportunity for incarcerated people and pets and how it embodies this thing that I think Marley's Mutts does so well, which is this sticky core tenet of not only helping animals, but helping people too in the middle of Kern County. And I know you've had all these awards and I know that you've done a lot and you've grown. I would love to hear about the animals that have changed you. I think my listeners want to hear that. And as somebody who has volunteered in prisons, I want to talk to you about this all day long and hear about this positive program, positive change program that you have. I know Cora's on your lap, you guys. If you're not following Zach Scout, I'm just going to tell you now that Cora is reason number 795 to follow him, and but but also reason number one. I want to hear about Afghanistan, if you'll tell us. Yeah. And all the work sure. you've been doing. Also, Zach, I'm, I'm front-loading you. How do you balance being an animal person and a father? I'm asking for a friend, and that friend is me. <laughs> yeah, well, let's start. So um, the first, you know, I think the first dogs that really changed me, first dog that ever changed me was Spec. So we had a, my first rescue, I was coming home from first grade, walking home and it was raining and we found this dog next to a, basically the rain gutter. He was like trying to, which you didn't find a lot of strange animals in Hermosa beach. So it was kind of rare. We took him to the shelter. This was um, at Downey or was it Carson? Did we take him to Carson? We took him to Carson. And then when his release date came up, we went and picked him up and he became our first rescue dog. And he really... Watching my dad bond with him and getting to bond with him, he was my go-to dog. I took him everywhere. I take my my skateboard and my tennis racket whenever I stayed with my dad. My, my parents split up when we were very young. Then I would take my dog with me off leash and go feed all the horses in my neighborhood, you know, off of fruit trees, fill up my backpack with apples and, and peaches and stuff. And, and really, he taught me that value of companionship and unconditional love. I think those were probably, that's like when I peaked as a human. Yeah. I was optimized at like nine through 11, but I was also going through some things then, you know, I was having a hard, there were some things that kind of um, traumatized me. And um, I know that having that dog really, really helped me. And just watching the example that my dad set with him, with that dog, like the routines they had, he'd go underneath the pool table and cuddle with him every night before bed, like straight up his last stop before bed. My dad was to spoon spec underneath the pool table. So you get a grown man crawling under the pool table to cuddle with a black and white little mutt. And it was just, so, so that was a big part of, um, and how my dad would greet him whenever he got back from um, traveling abroad. So yeah, I mean, I, I always, and, but then conversely, you know, my mom's side, we, we had brought in, my mom bought uh, several dogs who a few of them, we, we ended up letting go. Like, I don't remember even what happened to them. They were like given away, probably because we weren't the best caretakers as kids. But also because, you know, that side of the family just wasn't responsible in that way. And so I think that always stuck with me. I remember coming home, I'll never forget when Bentley, one of our dogs had been like given away or something. And that stuck with me. And I think that always made me want to make a difference here. So 
started working locally, like in actual animal welfare in 2003 up here in Tehachapi with our local humane society, rescued Tug from the shelter, the Mojave Animal Shelter, which is the Kern County shelter in 2002, rescued Marley soon thereafter. He was a little puppy. He's a Rottweiler pit bull. Tug was like a, some sort of a lab mix. And uh, they became my sidekicks, you know, and as more, as I spent more time with the Humane Society, started doing all their like mobile rescues. So when people would call in, I'd go pick up dogs and got my third dog, Buddy, who's still alive. He's almost 18. Oh, it's, I love him that old. Yeah. I just love him. So much. Yeah. He's a doll. And I got him at Rosamond Elementary School. He was still somewhat of a puppy. And, and the fact that he's still alive is amazing. So, you know, they, they all really affected my life, but, but when I was, you know, when I, when I was working in animal welfare at the beginning, you know, I was really suffering every day. Every day was an incredible challenge just to uh, muster the courage not to want to take my life, not to want to, you know, I did drown myself in alcohol and drugs to the like greatest extent of my ability. It was the only thing that helped me check. I, I, I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin at all in, in a variety of different ways. And, uh, Alcohol really was the only thing that helped me deal with the self-hatred, like the persistent and very intrusive self-hatred, that, that narrative that just would never stop. And the dogs really helped me plug into the moment and stop obsessing about self-hatred. They started to help me love myself. They were just so in love with me. I mean, Tug especially was was totally shut down. He was a very insecure dog. He took on every insecurity I had. The interesting thing about dogs too is they personify or whatever, dogify your, what you're experiencing. So I did this tremendous disservice to Tug by having him in a codependent way, take on all of my bad emotions. He was scared of everything. He was, you know, he really embodied my energy, but always in the back of my, 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 my personality, my potential was this other person who Marley very much personified and when I would get when I got sick and was diagnosed with end-stage liver disease I was given you were less young than, right you were young I was 28 man. yeah I was given less than 90 days to live without a transplant and basically I, I spent many weeks in the hospital and, and when I got admitted to the transplant program they said you know you need six months of sobriety period you need a liver transplant that's your only hope try try to survive six months and the only reason I survived six months was my dogs. You know, the, there were many moments where I, I wanted to throw in the towel, one in particular where my dogs really united to kind of show me that, that I was still alive and that I was still there and that I was still fighting and that I was still had the potential to turn it around. I had really completely given up. Like I, I was so desperate and destitute, just spiritually bankrupt, emotionally bankrupt, scared of everything. And I just didn't know how to live, you know, and I was hurting a lot of people around me and I was hurt, killing myself and my dogs I, really, really, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I can, I can really understand and relate to this state of mind. I mean, I wish that you didn't experience it. I wish I didn't experience it. I wish most people didn't. And I bet a lot of people do, but this idea of borrowing a dog's love almost when you don't have any for yourself um, as a way to find it within yourself you know if the dog is not an idiot and you trust the dog then they're not yeah. wrong and maybe i'm lovable right and that, yeah, yeah, that exactly. sort of idea oh, exactly can you're, save you're your right. life i mean I, I was obsessing about taking my dad's nine millimeter and going on this hike it's a completely unknown hike up this fox ridge and all i was thinking about was walking into the thing and back in there with tugs sitting on this log and blowing my head off 
And I wasn't even yeah. sure what to do him. Like, do I do the same to tug? What do I, I was experiencing all kinds of emotions. I was so scared to be alive and, and yeah. just as scared to die, but maybe like not really connected to death. I was still able to suspend my, my belief of, of death. Yeah. Cause I was also if, very much a kid. I was coping like a child. I was coping like an alcoholic. So do you mind if I things- ask you why? And I'm not asking why, because I'm a therapist. Cause I'm not, I'm asking why, because I feel like in that, why, why that may have come up, there's some potential to maybe unpack how animals are like poised to be the ones to like be our antidote. And I know they don't exist to be our medicine, but for those of us who need to recreate a family, yeah. The one we need, it's dogs often or cats or whatever animal speaks to you or you bond with. Um, yeah. And I'm wondering why you think those that was up. Well, I think I needed a reintroduction to people. I think I hurt a lot of people and a lot of people hurt me and I was really soured on people and I didn't think mm-hmm. people liked me. And I had a lot of traumatic experiences with people. So I'd lost my faith in myself and lost my faith in people in general. And I think what the dogs helped me do was regain not only faith in myself, but regain faith in people, you know, the, yeah. with, when I got sober and, you know, my whole life became dedicated to the dog. So Marley's Mutts was a total accident. I, I started walking in the mountains with my dogs and started adding rescue dogs to my pack from Humane Society and Canine Canyon Ranch. I started adding these dogs and doing their, their posters, like doing their write-ups, being creative. Like I started to find out things about myself that I didn't know. I would not really been creative. And so my whole life waking up every day was dedicated to them. I didn't have time to think about the same mental shit show of, of like procedures that my brain would go through. You know, I, I didn't have time to file those, all those grievances against myself because oh, yeah. I have to take care of them. Sure. So you, ha- was, you have to be okay in order for someone else to be okay. And it makes you want to be okay. And yeah, it was right on what they needed me. And a lot yeah. of them were puppies and I was just adding so many dogs and they, uh, they all needed assistance. And so what, what that taught me is, is the value of service, first of all. So where you can check out of yourself and into service. And checking out of myself and into service helped me find my purpose. And I quickly embraced sobriety with like reckless abandon. So I, you know, I did all of my early fundraising in AA and NA meetings. I made t-shirts. That's how I started Marley's Mutts is I bought every t-shirt at Kmart and I made iron-on transfers. My good buddy, Chris Garcia made the first Marley's Mutts logo. And that's how we made money. I didn't even think to, to, to file for nonprofit status because I didn't think the government would allow some drunk who rescued dogs to form a nonprofit. So I didn't even try in the beginning. I just filed as a doing business ad. You know, yeah. and then it wasn't until 2010 that we got nonprofit status. But um, yeah, it was just it was an incredible journey. You know, everything what those dogs did for me was give me all of the tools. You know, bridge the gap between where to the point where I could start to live. You know, I took Marley everywhere. With, I mean, everywhere because I was too scared to have conversations with people, with girls, with people in positions of influence or power. I was just scared all the time, all the time. And, you know, they really helped me. And that's what one of the things that I would encourage folks to do is not necessarily, you kind of alluded to it, but not necessarily use dogs. I mean, dogs are medicine, right? But not use them as like an excuse to keep yourself back. Dogs are there to help you live, not to scale yourself back and hide. They're not supposed to be a, a crutch for isolationism. They're supposed to be a bridge for expansionism, expanding your connections your relationships they're not supposed to 
dogs don't exist to, to make you retreat within. And I, I mean, that's one I, of the things I've seen a lot of folks do. Lately. I, I agree with you. I wouldn't be able to do a podcast about anything else because I can talk about animals and it, and it's the immediate bridge and it's so much more than me and it's you and it's everyone who listens. And all of a sudden there's connecting points that mean so much more than my bullshit or my regrets of the past or my fears of the future, which are constant. And it's all dogs. It's dogs, every single, you know, or for me, cats, squirrels, you know, et cetera. But, but what I have in my home is dogs. And I, I love how you said that Marley represent, he represented the, the other you, not that, you know, like, not that, you know, one was good or one was bad between him and Tug, but that Marley embodied sort of for you, what you could be that future you that he was my role model. And I became like him. I've never given it up. It's the one, it's my, it's my personality. My personality is to be outward, joyous, free, inspire people and love people. Like I have a very bold, uh, big personality when it comes to just uh, loving people. And, I, and that was all muted because I didn't feel good enough about myself. Now, all of that was muted. And so I really was able to return to my true essence, which is like a, a giver and a lover. And uh, so I'm still oddly enough, like um, very introverted uh, in many ways. Like I have to recharge and and being in big social settings while I can be very comfortable it's also very stressful and very taxing but yeah I, I would say that Marley really by following his example he kind of retaught me how to be myself and it it paid it, he, the, the biggest dividends I was able to form the organization I was able to get out of my comfort zone face challenges and hurdles and yeah I'm forever grateful it's funny that I mean, always in the back of my mind is emulating my father, you know, my dad in a number of different ways and also trying to leave, leave out the cycles of his that I don't want to implement. But ever since having kiddos, I'm sure you can attest to this. Oh my God, do all of the patterns and things that our parents did start to come up. I mean, I noticed every It's crazy. It's wild. Being a parent is being parenting yourself. That's what it is. You go, oh shit, I never had a role model who regulated in this way. And now I have to figure it out on the spot. And I just failed. So let me try again. I have to forgive myself. Yeah. do over it's just so much Zach yeah, so much it's and so you, much and, and you embody like you realize that you you come to embody things that you patterns behaviors cycles that your parents did that you swore swore you would sure. never ever do you For do sure. subconsciously like you have to you have to basically do like an 11th step on yourself you know 10th and 11th step on yourself every every day day you know just to like I have to say like thank goddess higher power above that I had a program of recovery before because I I wouldn't know how much I needed a 10th and 11th step to just to be able to wake up the next day I would seriously still be obsessing about you know what I was going to eat for breakfast or not eat for breakfast or how to disappear you know, that would have been my MO and there would have been kids on the line and it wasn't even okay to do when there were dogs on the line. So, you know, it, it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. And I have a, you know, I believe that the 12 steps should be taught in middle school. And I'm sure a lot of people disagree with me, but I do, I agree with you. Right. It's like just a program of how to be a decent person. Just minus the the biggest possible. It's just a step. It's just a guide you know, it's a guidebook for living and it can be applied to so many different things. Cora would like me to talk about her 
please. Cora um, must have changed so you. In here's a huge another way. one that really taught me like an immense lesson, and it, it's ongoing. You know, it, it's a really good point because I'm 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 stuck mentally in this place of do I address these people on her page? Right, Cora doesn't have any front legs. She does not like to be in her cart when she's home for a variety of reasons. One, she falls over constantly because it tips over on uneven surfaces. And because of how she likes to play with the dogs, it, having a, a, her being in her cart is prohibitive. So when people see her video of her in the backyard and her walking on her back legs, there are a lot of people that think this is like cruel and that I should be picking her up and carrying her wherever she goes and that I should be doing this, that, or the other. And what they don't understand is like, I'm very cued into this dog. I probably more than any human on the face of the planet. Like I know, I know what she's thinking before she thinks it. And um, oh, I believe I you, makes, I believe you and that yeah. feedback loop, nobody is in that but you too. Yeah, exactly. And nobody. I know what makes her happy. So to hear people think that, and she loves to be in, in the backpack, but I'm not gonna keep her in a backpack all day long. She needs to go frolic and experience life. And to, to see, especially the type of how regulated her joy was in the past, she was not a very happy dog. The whole process of, of her recovery was really challenging for her. And she became this dog when she found this freedom. And so I don't want to take that away from her. I want to continue to be able to let her water her soul, you know, so what, what I'm touching on and what I'm trying to get at is that she doesn't feel sorry for herself. Everybody else feels sorry for her and she doesn't feel sorry for herself. If she did, she wouldn't have succeeded to the degree that she has. I think that is the marker. I think that, I think you just nailed it because I, I think it's, first of all, I think giving a dog agency is never a bad thing. Ha letting them decide for themselves how, how yeah. and what they need to do next. That's A, B, you, if we're not going to be codependent and and that's another program that i need then we have to let the beings we love or no matter how many legs they have try things and fall and fail and get up again and and we have to bear it and i feel like there's a lot of attack from people sometimes that can't bear it and i feel for them because that's my nature my nature yeah. is to not want to be uncomfortable about your yeah, discomfort yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then yeah, yeah. i rob you of your life we and all my, have that us empath, us empaths have that codependent variable hardwired in us. Sure, and so how we, many addicts yeah. need come from that space? And and I and I I feel it to my bones. Just this immense love and leaning into people who feel that because it's a superpower. It has a big cost, but it's a superpower. I wonder yeah. in your experience with positive change, if you see that with incarcerated people. I my experience, I volunteered with Defy, which is that this amazing. Oh, I I'm the five ventures, baby. Five, five ventures. Turn your hustle into, you know. Yeah, shout out to David Long, the, the, the former VP of the five ventures. Yeah, now it's Andrew Glazier, who is amazing. And the pandemic happens, and I haven't been there in two years, but Lancaster Prison. prison? Oh, Lancaster? Nice. It's Lancaster, Lancaster, excuse me, Lancaster Maximum Security Level 4, as you've, I know yeah. you have experienced. I did the women's prison. And what a way to change your life, to feel the absolute illusion of your differences just evaporate. Uh, it was never yeah. there. And, and to yeah. put into practice with people, what I preach about animals and to holy shit, Zach, and the empathy, yeah. the, the, the deep reservoir yeah. of feeling that I so see. For those of you guys watching who eyes. don't about Defy, let me give you a <laughs> breakdown. So Defy, next to a positive change graduation, Defy graduation is probably the best thing you're ever going to witness in your entire life it's essentially shark tank for yep. for student inmates what they do is you, you you incubate ideas so 
inmates will come up, student inmates will come up with ideas that are incubated and cultivated, watered and fed and adjusted. And, and, and they will, they will incubate those ideas that you then present and they have different sharks that are kind of involved with defy that'll help you help you develop along your entrepreneurial idea very much taking the the you know street hustler the your average inmate is a very resourceful you know hustler centric individual who have a tremendous amount of entrepreneurial spirit just to survive in prison you almost have to be an entrepreneur so it really it really galvanizes the student inmate into empowerment through through this entrepreneurial spirit becoming the ceo uh, of your new life yeah, exactly. tag, which is brilliant. Yeah. And the recidivism rate is so much lower. And the, I mean, just to not feel like and it's nothing. Just the energy is just like off the roof. Jesus Christ. Know? Zach, when I, the first time I went, I swear to you on my abuela that I was talking to you about before with the two owls, this woman that I love, who is as close to a higher power idea that I can come up with in the human form. I swear to you that when the first time I walked into that gymnasium and their inmates, the men were in like, you know, that thing that when you make a bridge, uh, like a London Bridges game where you and someone else stand with uh, fingers linked and you go under a row of people doing that, like making a overhead bridge. We were all, all the judges, all the, you know, the, the volunteers came running in and they were, music was playing. There's the DJ playing music and I'm walking into the gym and I'm looking up at these hands of inmates and these men, these giant men going, thank you for being here, man. You could be anywhere. You could be anywhere you took today to be here with me. I was, my feet didn't even touch the ground. I was flying. I was flying. Yeah, It's insane. First time I ever saw one was, uh, we had a positive change graduation and the room was was still occupied. So I went into visitation because the the captain tells me, hey, we got a delay. There's still something going on in the visitation room. I'm like, well, pardon my language, but bullshit. We got the room. What are you talking about? We had a graduation. (laughs) going to take us several hours get those people out of there and i go in and it's a defy graduation and i'm like dude it was tony robbins mixed with shark tank mixed with like uh ellen degeneres episode it was incredible i stuck around and i'm i'm all of a sudden just like just going nuts it was amazing it was incredible and uh yeah our warden david long at the time that went from being the warden of of california city correctional facility to the to uh working predominantly within defy i love defy i mean if you get me some clips if we narrow if we edit this thing down let's do a little defy clip we'll shout it out on positive change i just love defy there's such i I would love to do that they deserve all the support and they're just they're this can't be thankless work and i I want to hear about positive change and and how you envision this and i i I read something about you just talking about how like this is what you're here to do and by the way that noise in the background is my dog eating an enormous like collagen uh, bone so i'm so sorry to everyone who's heard like this horrible rubbing sound recording it sounds like um yeah it sounds like, like cat farts i'm not really cat sure cat farts yeah it's goldberg goldberg the, goldberg. The, the, goldberg the shepherd mix lab who was dumped out of a van in my house eating a bone uh, but please it's I, i'm so i'm so like lit about this this way that you talk about people I'll, and animals. I'll give the perfect example. Let me give a perfect thing about positive change. that just encapsulates why it's tremendous. So like this, this is a paint, a drawing that our guys gave to my buddy, John Flores, who's once of one of our trainers. He gave it to me and it just says simply misunderstood. And it's half pit bull, oh. you know, all the guys. So this was at the only level four program ever run in, in prison. There's no level four dog program 
And ours is, this was the only level four dog program ever created at Corcoran State Prison, the most dangerous prison in California, thus the most dangerous prison in, in the United States. And, um, you know, there's a, a bunch of my guys on here, including Dedante and Brian James. Brian James is going to board in this week. So we got big promises for him. But what's really, really special is, you know, I met Dedante six years ago. Dedante is a young black man was incarcerated at 14, tried as an adult, served 18 years in prison. So, and we talked about, you know, one day, man, we'll get to go to a concert. One day we're going to get to go to a reggae concert, you know? And, yeah, 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 you know? and then that day came, that day happened. And um, I got to take him last weekend to the Cali Vibes Fest in Long Beach. You know, he's from Compton. So we got to be in our own backyard together, you know, as a, as a team, you know, at this amazing concert, he's working at LA Canine. So he's going to be going back into his community to pay it forward and advocate for animals. He's working as a dog trainer. Armando Ortiz is on here. He's a professional dog trainer who's out of prison. You know, Brian will be joining us when he gets out. So just seeing like how the gentlemen that were in this program, this original program, how well they're doing. Some of these guys will never leave prison and are still there, obviously. But um, that's the nature of the program is to provide, you know, like you said earlier, hope and opportunity for, for homeless people, for incarcerated people and pets. And there's just a tremendous amount of, of missed potential um, in the prison system and in the shelter yeah. system. You know, if every dog is, is potentially, you know, special medicine to, to help rescue a human being and every incarcerated individual, you know, has uh, limitless potential and is also connected to to children and et cetera and so on, you know, our society ought to put a premium on the time and the effort we put towards rehabilitating our incarcerated people and pets for a, a number of reasons. First of all, just the fact that we lock up 25% of the world's incarcerated in America, we make up 4% of the population and we lock up 25% of 33% of all incarcerated women are here in the United States. You know, it's a hundred billion dollar industry. We spend a hundred billion dollars a year locking people up, not to mention the, you know, the really robust economies that are associated with incarceration. So there's a lot oh of work God. that needs to be done there. But as a society, those of your people who are struggling the most, why would you send anybody who's caught up in a, in a, in a murder or a gang life or any of those things that would lead you into a life of crime? Can you imagine what that person must be going through? Can you imagine how sideways your life has gone? And instead of having any empathy for these people, all we do is focus on the crime and then we warehouse them in a place that is more dangerous than any of us have ever experienced. Yeah. How on earth do we expect that to be a, a functional mechanism for change? In, instead, what that's become is a fun functional mechanism for creating more crimes, more victims, and a recidivism percentage at 75%. 75% of, of most criminals, people who are incarcerated, end up back in prison within five years. How, how else what, how else could they live if we, if they can't get jobs mm -hmm. right if they're if they've lost family places mm -hmm. of living oppor business opportunities like what where where and how I am not here to say that people yep. should be absolved of their sins and that I am not I am not like you yep. know some entity of judging exactly. but, but if we're gonna if we're gonna prevent them from cre from creating more victims why doesn't our society value? rehabilitation so that we don't create future victims and, and how can we me, only do it for animals we we have to yeah. do it for people too even if it's yeah. messier even if it's harder it doesn't totally. matter we we totally. have either everyone deserves more chances or they don't totally totally i mean what we're essentially saying is that no is that based on the, your involvement in a crime a weapon a gang affiliation etc and so on you're ostensibly screwed forever and all your kids are screwed 
and your family is screwed. Any of the people that depend on you, there's no path to redemption for you. So good luck. I don't know about you, Zach, but if I was judged for the things I did when I was 14, I'm not saying that no one has done bad things. I'm saying that I too have done bad things. Yeah. And if I was judged for them, for those 14 year old mistakes, I would, you wouldn't be sitting here talking to me. That's for That's sure. the biggest reason why I'm so passionate about this is I was not a person who I, I didn't feel very redemptive. You know, I didn't feel very, you know, I felt like a, I always knew my heart. I always knew I was a very big hearted, loving person. That's what I, what I, I know my nature, you know, but I, I really struggled and suffered and I was in a lot of pain and, um, my community and my society and my culture uplifted me and helped helped me to to really pay it forward and create something incredible. And we can do that for them as well. And and that's why I feel so drawn to this is I see myself in every single one of them very easily, like seamlessly. If you have any bit of the ability to open your mind and have even just a skosh of, of, of compassion and conscientiousness, it should not be challenging for you to empathize with an incarcerated individual. Think about, I mean, like I just think about Dante. He was, comes from a broken family. He's from Compton where, you know, in the, the heart of the uh, gang violence between Bloods, Bloods and Crips, he was, you know, caught up in a, in a serious crime and was incarcerated since 14 on, really before then in the CYA and everything else. So what 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 do you suggest we do, America? I mean, you want to just continue to lock him up and, and hope that that's going to lead to something productive? Or with a ver- very few moves, as we've done, give him a skill that he can take into the real world that can cancel out two negatives, one being you know the cycle of incarceration and recidivism, and the other being animal welfare and, and providing you know opportunities for incarcerated pets. So I just think that uh, we ought to be putting far more of our energy into instead of warehousing human beings into actually rehabilitating human beings. And, and there's another thing that incarcerated people don't get a lot of credit for, and that's what they have endured to get through a long bid. If you've been down for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and you've worked on yourself and you've, you've maintained your humanity, can you, I mean, every day is a triumph to get through every day inside of California prisons is a triumph. And these individuals have done that. And there's, there's something very important to be said for that. You have a whole lot to offer this world if you can get through that kind of darkness with your humanity intact and still you know, care about, about paying it forward and being of service. And almost all of our guys do, and um, guys and guys. So I just think you know, there's, there's this remarkable potential within the prison system. And um, as soon as we start to, to shine a light on it, we see these just these like blindingly light testimonials that are, are so moving and, and really serve to, to lift us all up and, and uh, make a difference in our lives. So I, I think um, we ought to really, I know it's uncomfortable when you start talking about loss of life and very serious crimes. It's, it's an uncomfortable conversation, but we need to have it and we need to really balance all of the factors and start to think critically. Thinking critically is something that we've like abandoned and um, we, we like to react emotionally without any sort of, you know, practical evaluation of the situation. And um, we need to really practically and conscientiously evaluate how we are incarcerating folks so that we can really foment societal, cultural, because right now we're just making it worse. And the, and the ones who are going to do that are going to be the empaths. It's going to be people who by, who have probably experienced their own pain and their own hurt and their own ache and they had to fight really hard, weren't born with it, had to fight really hard to figure out how to keep going in a better way. I feel like that kind of person is the kind of person who has the, the tools to say like, oh, wait, we, we're going to have to make something else out of this because it's not going to be the people who are benefiting financially from the prison system. And it's not going to be people who are running for 
offices who are going to be pitting us against one another in order to to get what they want. It's it, it's going to be just real human beings. It's just going to be real feeling human beings. There's something you're you're touching on that I want to call out. You're talking about like the tangibles, right? Like here's a life skill. Here's a dog. You can pet that dog. That dog exists outside of you in me. Like you can, you're an incarcerated person who can make a difference to this being. And all of this is tangible, but then there's this intangible thing that positive change is offering, which is this energetic. And I know that sounds woo woo. I'm sorry. I lived in LA for a long time. Not at all. Um, but everything is energy. Right. And so you're, you're, you're doing something to the energy that, that this person has around them when they're telling themselves a story of I'm worth something and I matter somehow and I can count yeah. versus I'm literally nail on the head, man. Yeah. I'm not here. So I'm a piece of shit. It doesn't matter. You know, just to give them the, the, the seed love is just that. Yeah. Seed if you of don't willingness. believe in yourself, you are a dangerous human being. If you, uh, oh. if you um, yes. think very lowly of yourself and if you think your life doesn't matter and if, you don't think people believe in you. You're a very, and you're incarcerated. You're a very, and you got nothing to lose. You're yeah. a very dangerous human being. So a, a big part of what we do is just what you talked about is just believing in people. That's the biggest transition that happened to me was do, do, working with dogs gave me self-confidence through action. I had no self-confidence whatsoever. My self-confidence had been like beaten out of me. Yeah. And um, it started to return through action, through being able to take action with my dogs. They helped give me some I could borrow some confidence from Marley and it started to implant itself in me. And um, the same, same is true. And when we stop calling them inmates and we start calling them dog rescuers and dog trainers, you see them take on a different, when you see the narrative shift, you feel the narrative shift, you see the responsibility shift. Cause as yeah. a, when you're an inmate who fucking cares, right? Who it's cares so or what you're up to? If you're well, a dog or a dog trainer, you have a purpose. You have Absolutely. a reason to be alive. And and that's such a big deal. And, um, and, and it goes hand in hand with the critical thinking that you're talking about, right? Yeah. To say someone, you, to say to them, you, you're incarcerated. Yeah. You're also a dog trainer. You're also a dog rescue. It allows for all the grays and all the subtext in between words and lines and categories. And that's critical thinking. Then they can think differently about everything, about what they're told about fake news, about each other, about themselves. I mean, everything changes because yeah. of something that you've offered them. It's a, big deal you've been doing it for dogs now you're doing it for dogs and people it's yeah, beautiful yeah. and really we could have this is a model that could scale pretty easily the thing that we're really working hard to do is is combat the animal welfare the animal overpopulation issue the pet euthanasia issue within places like texas and california but really nationwide we need and, to talk about Texas at some point maybe uh, maybe after yeah. <laughs> let's go for it no let's, let's jump in how, how do we bring uh, how do we bring this to texas is my big question um, oh, well, Texas is Texas is um, home to some of the greatest organizations that, you know, our genre has ever produced. I mean, Austin Pets Alive and Dr. Oh. Ellen Jackson and, and um, they're, they are really just such an incredible organization for the procedures and protocols that they've created and shared for the models that they built with, with volunteering and for, you know, mobile adoption centers and community engagement and involvement. Like Austin Pets Alive, what they were able to accomplish in terms of life-saving efficiency was just like next level. What we're working on is creating trainers more quickly. We need more trainers. I think the money we can raise through what we've succeeded in already, but what we're working on now is, is ways to build out systems to help us produce more formerly incarcerated trainers, as well as trainers from the outside, from, from the pet industry already, and um, actualizing them, getting them, getting them 
employed with positive change so that we can be in as many facilities as possible. We've standardized almost all that we do in terms of our curriculum and our operational procedures and the rest of it, but we have some more work to do in terms on, in terms of how we scale this, because it could literally be the solution to, I mean, the prison industry has been looking for an economy that would accept the incarcerated. Yeah. The oil and gas industry is really currently the only one that offers, offers so, I mean, you have organizations like Homeboy Industries that are incredible. Amazing. Um, but we need industries and renewables offered some hope. The president, President Trump at the time with the First Step Act and with a little bit of other outreach within the oil and gas industry created some, some partnerships there where they were hiring a lot of formerly incarcerated. But to have a $100 billion industry like the pet industry working to, ex- which number one required position is dog trainer. That's the uh-huh. number one needed position right now to be, cre- to be producing dog trainers, you know, is uh, for that economy really feels like where we need to be. I mean, that just, just take a look at COVID and how many people adopted shelter dogs that they need help with, right? They, 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 they need so help, many, Zach. They need so help. Many their, people. Dogs, their dogs they are do. not exposed to the world. <laughs> no, they need help. So, you know, that's why I, I just think there's every reason to scale this program and, and make it ubiquitous. And we just need the, um, and we need to find a ramrod to, to bring it home and just make it happen. So how can how can my listeners follow you, support you, and, and be your ramrod? What can they do to get oh, involved? They go with- to uh, marleysmuts.org. Yeah. M-A-R-L-E-Y-S-M-U-T-T-S.org. Zach Scow on Z-A-C-H-S-K-O-W on everything. Marley's Mutts on everything. Positive Change, P-A-W-S-I-T-I-V-E on everything. And just, you know, share our stuff, make comments. You can volunteer. We're really building out, we're going to be working on building out some job descriptions for volunteers as well to, to see how we can start to optimize our reach. And uh, But really share it with people. Talk to folks about it. Share yeah. with your friends. Donate if you can. Get involved. And there's a variety of different ways. You can obviously comment, like, share, donate, volunteer, all those things. Care, very care, helpful. and then do stuff. Take action. Faith without works is dead. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right? exactly. Faith and without works is dead. Zach, how, for those of us listening, like me, who are animal people and parents, any final words on how you're going to carry all this? Bur- you're such a bursting. Yeah. You're like bursting with, I can feel it over a Zoom, like ideas and love and, and fire and you want to go uh, and give uh, and I can feel I'm a it. Goer. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I'm, and how do you balance all of that with being a dad in the still quiet moments and the regulating and the looking in and the reparenting and all of it. How do you do it? Yeah. So the Mm. thing that's helped me the most is routine. And obviously I integrate my children with my dogs. So we try to have as many, like this weekend, we did a bunch of um, outside stuff with the dogs. So hiking, I do with the kids. Uh, Mom's been away like this whole week. It was just me. So I was single dad in it. And um, it was just the best because we try to have our dogs involved so I take them out on the bike or I take them out on the stroller with the dogs we go hiking with the dogs you keep everyone together I love that we have a lot of collective uh family time watching movies at night with the whole you know all the dogs the whole family but more than anything it's like I had to make a tough transition which was not doing all my I used to work 18 hours a day you know and um I worked up until I went to bed at midnight you know, yeah. and that doesn't happen anymore. I pick up the kids at five at school and then it's, it's, there's With no them. work. There's no work. So going to bed at nine o'clock or getting in bed at nine o'clock <laughs> is made all the difference in the world because then I can meditate. 
I can do my, I got a journal. I got to write down what's in my head. I got to meditate. And if I can do those things, definitely communicating with others, you know, I communicate with other alcoholics is critically important, but, but recognizing my purpose. So, so somebody recently taught me, you know, the value of, of reviewing your values. So I try mm-hmm. to review my values every day. I recently had a big kind of mental and physical split with someone close to me over values. And because I know my values, it wasn't very hard to do. You might've thought it would have been much more difficult, but I know my values and and in reviewing them, all the rest of your behaviors branch out from your values. So uh, you focus on your, your two or three like core values and and it will kind of tell you what you need to be doing. You know, Mm, I'm going to remember that. And I, I am so glad to connect with you who, who, I can, I can tell that you um, are responsible for a lot of beings and that you are gladly, um, but that being responsible to yourself and making the space up for that is, is sort of the source of it all. So I'm really glad that I can pick that up today. That's a gift for me. Dude, if this conversation were a few months ago, I'd have been the same because it was everything for them. You know, I, my <laughs> wife has a bunch of horses and, and just taking care of those horses every morning, like completely, you know, there just doesn't leave any time for yourself. Well, it's so making been, me tear up because I, I know yeah. the, the wild swings of being so far away oh, from that uh, and the return I mean, to it. Totally. We're completely lost myself. I mean, yeah. in service and feeling responsible, like, oh, well, this is what I need to do. And I'm very much a server, like in, in, in marriage and in, and in all things, like that's my role. And so, um, yeah, I just noticed, I mean, I was not only sideways, I was just uh, like gasping for spiritual breath, like yeah. really gasping for breath. And not having any time for myself, not, not seconds, you know, and just looking around kind of like, is anyone going to help me? And then realizing yeah. oh. not up to anybody else. It's up to me. And a few small changes, you know, you think some of these things are like immovable that, that you're, you, uh, especially because we live in a society that we talk about values that values victimhood. So we live in a society that very much values victimhood. So we're constantly signaling uh, the amount of victimhood we are experiencing. And so it makes it easy to like view yourself as being treated unfairly or victimized instead of like, what do I need to do? I need to do to take ownership over my life so that I can be, I mean, this weekend, this week, you know, having all the horses, all the animals, we have 10 animals, two small kids, you know, all the things that I ranch. Would have been would have been ridiculous, but because I felt centered spiritually, it was great. I had the best time away. I had the greatest time with my girls this week. I mean, it was just priceless bonding time. And um, if it would have been the, the me from a few months ago who was focused on all the other things I had to do for other people other than me, I would have really been a poor version of myself. And uh, and obviously, the kids respond differently to me. The animals do when I'm feeling like I am now, as opposed to I mean boundaries are love yeah all right to myself and all the other codependents who are listening i feel for you and with you but oh gosh there's a codependent workbook by the way people's i think if you just google codependent workbook you'll find it how dare you zach i'm not gonna google it i'm not gonna do it don't don't do this to me (laughs) it it may have been called um there's a uh it was like a guide to being an empath it was like an introduction into being an empath which is kind of like a the, the nature of it's kind of like, sorry, but this is what you are. <laughs> uh, but the, the workbook was very helpful. It, it has a lot of like the, it hits on a lot of what, what you'd find in CODA meetings, codependence yeah. anonymous. And by the way, yeah. probably also in animal shelters. 
across the country, all the conversations. Will you return to us one day and talk to us just about Afghanistan, about the work you did? Oh, yeah. Will you sure. come back on the totally. that changed you one day and just talk to us about that? I'm sure there'll yeah. be another animal that you want to share stories about. Yeah, we'll probably we have like more more things we can make public by then. Okay. Yeah. Thank, thank you for doing this. Thank you for making you the time to, to come be here. You're so welcome. I had a blast. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to The Animal That Changed You, a weekly podcast that features extraordinary people talking about the extraordinary animal that changed their life. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at The Animal That Changed You and tell your friends. If you've got a story about an animal that's changed your life, DM me, tell me about it, or, or tag us. We would love to hear. We appreciate you. And honestly, we love your animals so much. Thanks for being here. For more great iRaw podcasts, visit iRawPod.com. That's I-R-O-A-R-P-O-D.com. Ah!